We have uh, now come to the final stretch in this series where we've been talking about um, what it means to live by faith. Three months now we've been going through this and the reason we would even ponder this topic together, right, is that you and I, we live in this cultural moment where the idea of faith is kind of suspect. You know, the town square of our day, uh, it sees truth as something relative, right? And so to put your faith into something you can't touch or, or see is sort of to swim against the current. So we've been asking this question over and over again, Sunday after Sunday, what does faith look like in a faithless context? How does it speak? How does it change our attitudes, our, our thoughts, our actions, and to do this, we've sort of picked up these rocks of people's lives and we've, we've looked under them in this one single chapter of Hebrews and we've stopped to just see what's underneath, right? And to date, we've looked now at Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Joshua, and Rahab. But as I said, we've now come to the final stretch and by the author's own words, he says, I'm out of time. And as any good preacher, right, you can hear the wrap-up music begin to play. Someone's looking at their watch, and he knows he's got to get it all out all at once. So this morning, we're going to watch this flyby as we look through six specific individuals, and then even more, one last time to think about how we live by faith. So let's read this together. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, if you have your Bibles. If not, we've got it on the screens. 32 to 40. Let's hear now God's word. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others scoffed, mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep, goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Remember the movie Cool Runnings? Remember that movie, that classic? 1988 Calgary Olympics, these, these four athletes, these misfits show up from Jamaica to run a bobsled down in Ice Luge. And they're total misfits, right? Um, because we know that the, the only ice that you find in Jamaica is the one that you would put in your drink on the beach. But what made them even more laughable was their coach, Irving Blitzer, had fallen from grace 20 years before that in a cheating scandal in the exact same sport. 
Along the way, there's this scene in the movie where Irving is asked by one of the athletes why he did it. He had won two gold medals legitimately, and he asked him, well, why would you cheat for the third? Look at this response from Irving. He said, a gold medal is a wonderful thing, but if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. A gold medal is a wonderful thing, but if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. The athlete asked a follow-up question. He said, how will I know if I'm enough? And Irv said, when you cross the finish line, you'll know. You know, it's kind of an interesting admission, right? Have you ever noticed how um, obsessed, how, how strong the human desire is to win inside of us? I've been watching some March Madness over the weekend, and you can see that spirit in every single game, right? It's pure drama. Some of us are still grieving over that cat's loss. Winning is intoxicating, right? This is why parents get riled up at soccer games. This is why corporate CEOs who are otherwise incredibly successful end up in jail. Some of us will do anything just to feel the win. I want you to see something in our scripture. Um, because as you look at this passage, it's this scattershot, right? But it begins with these men who we might put in the category of winning. Again, look at this in verse 32. Our passage says, what more shall I say? If I had more time, I'd talk of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. And if you were the original recipients of this letter, it's, it's very clear just by what you see here that it's assumed you know all these names by heart. You already know their stories. There's no explanation at all. But if you go back to the Old Testament and you begin to do some digging, you realize very quickly that all the men in this list match sort of the same kind of pattern. Their lives were a complete mess. They, they carried this human struggle that we all do of sin and brokenness and pain. But in the end, by faith, every one of these six figures had a clear victory. In fact, just bear with me. Let me show you what I mean, okay? Let's just do a flyby with this passage. Let's start with Gideon. I love Gideon's story. Gideon was up against this huge army, Midianite kingdom, 32,000 men lined up, ready to fight this battle on the Lord's behalf. But God knew if they won with that scope and size, Israel would take all the credit and they might get a little arrogant. So with these creative filters, the Lord dwindles the army all the way down to just 300 men. He used tactics like telling Gideon, okay, first, all those who are scared, I want you to send them back home. And so thousands flee. Then he tells Gideon, he says, okay, the ones who lap the water like dogs, we'll have those ones fight the battle. And Gideon's army goes from 32,000 just to 300. And with that little remnant, by faith, Gideon won. And then there's Barak. You know, Barak's got the same theme, similar story. He and all of Israel up against the Canaanite kingdom. For 20 years, they were oppressed and occupied, begging for freedom from God. The book of Judges chapter four tells us that the, this enemy had 900 chariots of iron ready to fight. They were outnumbered, they were outgunned. So God comes to Deborah, who was the judge, which means ruler of Israel at the time, and he tells her to have this man named Barak lead the fight. Now, Barak's hesitant, he's not so sure, so he tells Deborah, he said, I'll do it, but I want you to come with me. 
In other words, Barak trusted in Deborah because he knew Deborah trusted in the Lord. And just as God promised by faith, weak as it was, he too won the battle. And then you turn to Samson. Now Samson's kind of a surprise in this list. His life was a complete train wreck. We could do an entire series on Samson. Samson too was a judge. You might call Samson somewhat of a, a gym rat. The Bible tells us he was a man mighty with this God-given strength. He killed a lion with his bare hands. That kind of a man's man. But despite Samson's muscle, he was actually quite the weak man. He wrestled with temptation. He chose time and time again to disobey God's commands. Still though, by faith, he too won his battle. You may remember, first he fought a battle with a, just a jawbone of a donkey, killed a thousand men of his enemy. Later, when all hope was lost and he stands blind and without this, this strength, he ends up taking the enemy out by shaking the pillars, you'll remember, and bringing down the house on top of his enemy. Gideon, Barak, Samson, all winners by faith. And then we turn to Jephthah. He too was a judge over God's people. He too, by faith, conquered the Ammonites. And then we turn to King David, and you know David's story. By faith, David conquered giants. Remember, Goliath came to me and said, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? No matter. David calls in the name of the Lord and conquers his giant in battle. He told Goliath, I don't need, I don't need armor, I've got God at my side. And then finally, we turn to Samuel. Samuel was the last of the judges, a major prophet of the Lord. His call was different than the previous six. He certainly had issues with the enemy from the outside, the Philistines like many others, but his challenge wasn't so much looking out. His challenge was speaking the truth within to a faithless, stubborn people. So you take a step back and you, you look at this list and you, you see there's one common thread in the stories of these six people, which is that by their wayward path, somehow by faith, God still secured for all of them a victory. In fact, look at this. The, the theme just keeps going. He says, let's throw in the prophets. Look at this in verse 33. All of these by faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, made strong in their weakness, became mighty in war, routed foreign armies. Women received their dead by resurrection. And again, there's an assumption. We know the stories. You might think of Daniel, whose angel literally shut a lion's mouth. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego dancing in the furnace, quenching the power of fire. Or I think of Elijah and Elisha, who both by faith took the sons of these weeping women who had died and raised them back to life again. And right here, if we stop with this list, you might conclude faith equals the good life. If you were to just pause with the list at this point, you would have to conclude faith equals winning. But here's what I want to know. What does faith do when your battle seems lost? What does faith do when, by the looks of everything in front of you, at least on this side of eternity, feels like defeat? 
What role does faith play, right? When, when what you see before you is not so much an overwhelming victory, but more like, God, what are you doing here? What does faith do in the midst of suffering and illness and death? How does faith operate when by the world's standards, things look like defeat? See, and I bring that up because this list, you'll notice it suddenly goes from bright and shiny and clear and happy days to this ominous, dark scene on the horizon. Verse 35, notice this pivot. He says, since we're talking about faith, let's not forget that by faith, some were tortured. Others were mocked, flogged, in chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And as you keep reading, it's like, well, maybe we should have just stopped a few verses back. Like that was so much easier to reflect on, right? Who wants to think about losing? Anybody see that meme of the poor cheerleader this week from Utah State? If you, if you haven't, you will. It's, it's all over the news this morning, but like her lip is just quivering. That poor girl, she's famous for the loss of her team. See, but this isn't basketball we're talking about, right? This is life and death. When you look at that list, this is horrifying, right? This is jaw-dropping. It's hard to even read, let alone think about living through. Not long before this letter was written, History records a, a Roman prefect who had made it entertainment to bring out the faithful and have them beaten and then hung up, bound to a wheel, and then hauled off to their death. All this happened in a theater in the round as these Roman crowds would cheer the death of these Jews with applause. That kind of persecution has always been at work in the history of God's people. Just consider some of the prophets. Jeremiah. We call him the weeping prophet. He's trying to get this difficult message to God's people. And when he speaks for the Lord, he's beaten. He's thrown into a cistern, stuck in the mud, left for dead. I couldn't have felt very victorious. Jerusalem itself had a history of killing the prophets, said Jesus. By faith, they would bring God's word. And then by faith, they would pay the price. You know, as you read through these descriptions, let me just ask you, which one troubles you the most? For me, it's kind of graphic, but can you imagine being sawn in two for what you believe? It's not recorded in scripture, but tradition was that the prophet Isaiah experienced that exact same death as people stood by, quote, laughing and rejoicing. Torture, mocking, flogging, chains, imprisonment, stoning, death, poverty, affliction. That's a different kind of path of faith, isn't it? You know, when we think about walking with the Lord, I'll just speak for myself, like I don't typically think about that list. In the West, we've been brought up to think quite the opposite when it comes to our faith, right? We, we belong to a nation who takes pride in winning. And as you look back in history, this was a country built on Christian Judeo principles and all that was intertwined, right? One nation under God, victorious in battle. So when we think about living by faith, the things listed in that lesson seem entirely foreign. But I think it's a humble question to just think about. What happens if the victories in your life suddenly turn south? What happens if living by faith 
means God calls you to something polar opposite of what you think. You've probably never heard the name of Mehdi Debaj, but Mehdi was a pastor in Iran who back in 1955 spent 10 years in prison for his faith in Christ. And Mehdi's story is perilous. He converted from Islam to faith in Jesus at a time when the crime was punishable by death, still today. Mehdi had quite the following. So when the authorities caught up to him, they wanted to make an example of his decision. And so they, they started out light. They said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to offer you your freedom. All we want you to do is just sign this paper, renouncing your faith, admitting your guilt. We can move on. Of course, Mehdi wouldn't do it. So the next day, they ramped it up a little bit and began to torture him. They even carried out a mox execution, multiple in fact, just to get him to, to shake. But Mehdi wouldn't budge. So then they threatened his family. In fact, so much so that his wife ended up leaving him behind. She converted back to Islam, married a Muslim man, convinced their children to do the same. Mehdi was ghosted by his entire family. And with nothing left, one of his only friends decided to go to bat for him. He wrote a worldwide protest, a press release, pleading for his release to the West. Finally, the opposition had enough. Mehdi's friend was murdered, and soon thereafter, Mehdi, by faith, was killed behind him. By Mehdi's faith in Iran, thousands of Christians as a result of this man standing firm. It's kind of a sobering thing to ponder, right? How easy it is for me to stand up here and preach in freedom. On the one hand, we have these six men who were called by God, heroes by faith, victorious in the Lord. And yet on the other hand, you then read an anonymous list of these faithful men and women whose faith on this side of eternity quite literally led them to their demise. And as we look at it, it should cause us to ask, God, what kind of path are you calling me to live by faith? You know, we might not know persecution but certainly we understand what it is to not feel the win in this life. Just last week I read of an entire Christian school being barred from all sports in their conference simply because they stood firm in what they believed to be true. Kids can't play ball anymore. Or just pivot with me. Maybe it's not that dramatic. Maybe it's simply someone who receives the call to stand firm even in their own disappointments. Just consider the believer whose path is laid out for them, who saves up their entire life, does everything right, finally hits retirement at 68 years, only to find out they have terminal cancer. How does one walk that path by faith? See, here's my point, and I think this is the point of this passage. It seems to me that faith in Christ is that which guides us in all circumstances. Because we know there will be days where it feels like you just hiked up to the mountaintop and you have this confidence in victory and this view that you feel like it'll never end. And yet there's others where living by faith suddenly means walking into the valley with the headwinds against us and the shadows cast, and the anxieties riddled. What is it that sustains us along the path, right? Right? See, because the fact is, right, your view 
of victory and triumph in Christ might not be seen on this side of life. Just keep in mind how this entire series began three months ago. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. And isn't that so easy when God just led you in a battle and you won? But what does faith look like when your face is in the mud and you're trying to figure out how did I find myself here? See, here's what faith does. Faith clings to hope even when all hope seems lost. Faith carries an assurance of things hoped for even when there's not a glimmer of that view in sight. Faith, whether you are a rancher in middle Montana or you are a martyr in Iran, it brings us all the same conviction of things we can't yet see. Thereby we should live our life. See, I love Coach Irving's confession. He says, a victory is a wonderful thing. But if that's all life is, if you're not enough without it, you're never gonna understand what it is to have it. Here's a more biblical translation. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Philippians 4. He said, I've learned to be content in all things. Because to, to lose your life for the sake of Christ is to gain everything. See, this entire series, we've been talking about the lives and the faith of others, right? One rock after another rock after another. But this morning, let's do something a little bit different. Let's ask this. How is God asking you to live your faith? What sacrifice is God asking you to make in your life in order to live out your walk with him? What challenges might you face in order to be faithful to your call? I think it's worth thinking about. How, how will I be remembered by those who come after me? If someone were to pen you in this chapter, what would be said about your faith? By faith, Brian. By faith, Lou. By faith, Tannis. By faith, Deb. Verse 39 says it like this. And these, though commended through faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, all of us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let me just unpack that, right? What that's really saying is, by faith... Even if you lose, we win. Whether God calls you to be a mighty king, a victorious judge, or one who we'll never know by name, who is mocked, beaten, and killed, the promise remains for all those who put their faith in Jesus. None of them received it in their lifetime because God had something better for them in the life to come. See, and they didn't, they didn't see it. We can look back. In fact, in three weeks, we'll celebrate it. In the words of Coach Irving, you'll know when you cross the finish line. All week long, I keep thinking over and over again about those who quenched the power of fire. I don't know why in that entire list. That one just keeps popping up to me. Such a powerful image, right, of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego dancing in this furnace in faith. They're facing like the worst outcome you can imagine. Looking at their own demise square in the face. Look at what they said in Daniel 3. Said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, 
We have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, your threat is pointless. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. What a great confession of faith. But if not, they said, be it known to you. We will never serve your gods or worship the golden image you've created. Man, I pray God gives us that faith. A faith that truly shapes our attitude in the morning. A faith that changes the way that we see our day. A faith that shifts up our parenting styles and shakes up our marriages. A faith that stands, uh, makes us stand up in the, in the classroom or the office. A faith that says, come what may, Lord, here I stand. See, because here's the reality. Here's the good news. In life or in death, the promise we have in Jesus' name is that we belong to the Lord. Man, let's ask God to help us live that this week. Will you pray with me? God, as we stop and we think about um, even the most fickle faith of men like Samson who in the midst of their fallen and, and wayward path, you brought victory. God, we, we are humbled and grateful that even in the midst of our own brokenness and sin, we can see what it is to see your name glorified in this place. God, we can see the, the mountaintop when we can leave this place today and go to a coffee shop or to lunch and we can pray and open in Jesus' name without worry of threat or security or safety or death. And God, we can look over this list and we, we can think right now, we thank you for the reminder that we have brothers and sisters all over this world who by your call are in a much different place. Isolated, alone, tortured, suffering, facing execution and death. So God, we pray for them. We, we ask that you would strengthen their faith as you strengthen ours. And God, we just come to you with, with humility this morning and admit, uh, Lord, we don't know what that kind of testing is. So God, would you make us a people with humble confidence who boldly and joyfully worship you with every step that we take in this life. God, may it not just be something we do here in this place, but God, by faith, would you help us to live wholeheartedly in Jesus' name. God, so that you would be glorified in all the earth. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.